Well, uh, good morning. Uh, last week after I uh, showed you all the pictures of the kind of the battle uh, between two churches with their signs, a friend of mine I went to lunch with this week and he uh, gave me this story, kind of goes along with it. Uh, there was uh, this old Irish man who lived in the Irish countryside and he had a, a faithful dog as his only companion, otherwise he was all alone. And one morning he awoke to discover that his faithful dog had died. And so he went down to uh, the local Catholic church to his priest and he said, Father, could you do a service of Mass for my dog? And the priest responded, I'm afraid not. We don't do services for dogs. You can't bring a dead dog in here. He said, but you know, there's a Baptist church just down the street. Who knows what they believe? Why don't you go give them a try? The Irish man said, uh, Father, do you think a $5,000 donation to the church would be enough if I go down there? To which the priest exclaimed, Sweet Mary, Mother of Jesus, why didn't you tell me the dog was Catholic? Sorry. Well, we're wrapping up our series, Radical, today, and uh, we can only go uphill from there, I hope. Um, and, uh, you know, here, here's the challenge. Living a radical life does not stop just because the series ends today. Because the ultimate satisfaction in life is found not in making much of ourselves, but in making much of God. And so the challenge for us is to keep living these principles for the rest of our lives. And here's what we've challenged us to do so far. We've talked about the fact that part of the challenge is to find a part of the world that doesn't know the story of Jesus and to pray for them every day. And I hope that you'll continue to do that. We've talked about uh, the fact that all of us who are Christ followers ought to read the Bible every day because it's the way that we grow to know God more deeply. And a lot of you, a lot of you a few weeks ago stood and you made a commitment not to me, but to God, that you would read His Word every day. And I want to encourage you to keep living out that commitment. We've talked about the fact that as Christ followers living the radical life, we should give away some of our money, some of our possessions to benefit those who are poor and struggling and vulnerable and needy. And I hope you'll do that talked about the reality that we ought to sacrifice some of our time for serving others. And lastly, we talked about that it's up to us to take the initiative to find people to build relationships with so that we can be part of a life-sharing community. And I want to encourage you, keep living that out. Because this isn't something that just ends today. There will come a day for all of us where we will have the privilege of standing before God and we will have to give an accounting for our life. And when that moment comes for us, I don't think any of us will wish that we would have invested more energy in trying to make more money or to live a more comfortable life. I think when that moment comes and we stand before God, all of us will wish that we had invested and gotten ourselves ready for the moment when, when every, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow before the throne of God. I think that's what we'll be wanting to be ready for. You know what all this comes down to? All of this that we have talked about comes down to one simple thing. It comes down to trust. I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Right. Well, this is all part of the exercise. 
Okay. All right? Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? <laughs> yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. Oh, okay. Uh, let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted. All right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay. I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. <laughs> Good. That's really what it comes down to, doesn't it? Will I or won't I trust Jesus? That's the two questions we've been asking throughout this whole series. Do I believe Jesus? Do I believe what He says and promises? And am I willing to obey, to do what Jesus says? Well, to wrap up today, I want to spend some time talking about the incredible invitation that Jesus has offered to every man, woman, and child to be His follower, to be a radical follower. I want to talk about the, the first I want to talk about the invitation that Jesus has given every one of us to, to be His follower, to know that I get to spend eternity in heaven with God, that I can have all of my sins forgiven. And to do that, I want to look at a story, the story of Nicodemus that's found uh, in your Bible. The story is found in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, is a leader. Uh, Nicodemus, in his story in the book of the John, really comes to Jesus asking maybe a lot of the same questions that some of us maybe are asking today about what would it be like to really follow you? And Jesus, how would I actually become a follower of yours? Now, when I was growing up, and maybe you were this way too, when I was growing up, I went to VBS and I grew up in the church, went to vacation Bible school every summer. And even since that time when I've been teaching at Vacation Bible School, it, it seems like the first story of every week of Vacation Bible School is, is always the story of Nicodemus. And, and if you're like me growing up, that do you remember actually that they had pictures of Nicodemus? It was amazing. Well, at least what somebody thinks Nicodemus looks like. And, and they were on flannel graphs. You know what that is? A piece of this uh, like felt board that they would have. And they had these objects, that they'd, paper objects they'd stick on there. Amazingly, it would stick. And the teacher would move them around. It was incredibly high-tech teaching method. So I've actually seen Nicodemus. Maybe, maybe you have too. 
Well, his story today, I think, provides us some great insight. So take out your Bibles uh, and turn and find your way to John chapter 3 or your phone if you've got your Bible on there or your iPad or however you're reading the Bible. Take it out and find your way uh, to John chapter 3. Now, in this story, you're going you're gonna to find a, a couple of words. And you've heard these words, and maybe you've wondered, well, where did that terminology even come from? And maybe when you've heard these two words, they have actually scared you. The words you're going to find in here are the words born again. And maybe you've heard that term, a born-again Christian, and you've thought, if I hear that term or if I find out there are, there are those born-again Christians, I'm running in the opposite direction. Well, you may discover today that what Jesus has to say about these words born again don't have anything that resembles what you've imagined in your mind about born-again Christians. And you may come to discover that these words are actually very important words. So John chapter 3, let's start in verse 1 and work our way through this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now let's stop there and just talk about that for a second. First notice that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious man. But he was also part of the Jewish ruling council. And I guess, uh, at least the way I would best understand this, it was almost like Nicodemus was an ambassador. You see, at this time, Rome was ruling over the Jewish people. And Nicodemus acted as a go-between, a mediator, a spokesman for Rome to the people in his region. But he also acted as someone who stood for his people and spoke back to Rome in their case. But ultimately, what his job really what really mattered for his job is that Rome expected him to keep a certain level of peace in the region. And so Nicodemus, by going to have a conversation with Jesus that we'll see he goes to have in a moment, really takes a risk. Because all Nicodemus needed was some religious guy like Jesus walking in his region, stirring things up, making a big ruckus. And that would upset Rome. And so by even going to have this conversation, maybe there was some risk involved for Nicodemus. And maybe for you, when, it, when you think about having a conversation with God, maybe when you think about following Jesus, maybe that whole thing seems a little risky to you. Verse 2. He came to Jesus at night. And you know what? Some people have made a big deal about Him coming at night like He was coming under a cloak of secrecy. And maybe there was some secrecy to it. I tend to think more that Nicodemus just knew that by coming to Jesus at night, he might actually find a time when Jesus wasn't interrupted by throngs of people and they could actually have an extended conversation. Because Nicodemus had some questions. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And I think that maybe this morning, this is where some of you are. In fact, I think this describes where a lot of Americans are when it comes to the question of who is Jesus. Because Nicodemus basically says to Jesus, you know what Jesus, I've, I've been watching you. That whole incident in the temple, you know, where you threw over the tables and Chase people out. Yeah, I I saw that. And Jesus, I've heard rumors that you actually changed water into wine. That's unbelievable. And I've had people tell me, Jesus, that you you healed them. That's amazing. And Jesus, I've heard heard you teaching. And so Jesus, I've come to to recognize that that you're you're a rabbi, which is a term of respect. You're, You're a teacher. 
You're a, a good man who obviously has come from God, and I'm guessing that you came to give us greater insights into to who God is. But notice what Nicodemus doesn't say. Nicodemus never says, and Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He doesn't say any of that. And I think maybe some of you today, and certainly a lot of people in our culture today, would say about Jesus, well, you know, I think He was a good man. He was religious. Uh, He did some good things. Uh, Maybe He came to give us greater insights into who God is. But maybe they're not quite at the point where they would say, you are the, you're the Son of God. And you see, Nicodemus comes on this day because he has some questions about the kingdom of God. He wants to ask Jesus, Jesus, when is it that you are finally going to reestablish Israel as the superpower of the world? When is the kingdom of God here on earth going to come? I've got some questions about that. But Jesus, as he so often is, was one, one step ahead of Nicodemus. He knew where Nicodemus was going, but Jesus was going to take this conversation in a different direction. Verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, and, and the, the writer here says it's in reply, but I almost wonder if this is more of like an interruption. And Nicodemus isn't quite finished with his thought, but because Jesus is one step ahead of him, he sort of interrupts the conversation and takes it in a whole different direction. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. No one can see the kingdom of God, unless He is born again. And there are those words, born again, which could also be translated born from above. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 31, and John 9, 11, that's exactly how it's translated, born from above. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you want to know about the kingdom of God? Well, here's the truth about it, Nicodemus. Nobody gets in. Nobody even sees the kingdom of God unless they are born again, unless they are born from above. The conversation continues in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks. It's a legitimate question, wouldn't you say? In fact, I think the next statement drifts with sarcasm and doubt. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Can he, Jesus? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter. Before he says no one can see the kingdom of God, now Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus says, Nicodemus, You're a religious leader. You know the law of the Old Testament. It should not surprise you when I say that no one can see or enter the kingdom of God unless he is born a second time, unless he is born again. It shouldn't surprise you of that. But you know what? To Nicodemus, who was a Jewish man, what Jesus says to him is very offensive. Because in reality, Jesus is saying to him, to Nicodemus, a Jew, who thought. Nicodemus' view on this was, hey, I'm a Jew. 
And as long as I am a Jew, as long as I am a child of Abraham, who is the father of all Jews in the Old Testament, I'm in, right? I mean, just because of my heritage, just because of my bloodline, just because I am a Jew, I'm good, I'm in. End of story. Jesus says, you know what, Nicodemus? This is not just about being born into the right heritage. It's not about who you are related to. It's not about your bloodline. Nicodemus, if you want to even see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born a second time. You have to be born from above. And this is not a physical birth that we're talking about, Nicodemus. It is a spiritual birth that has to happen. Then verse 9. Nicodemus just simply ask a question. How can this be? You see, Nicodemus struggled with what Jesus was saying because Nicodemus operated with the idea that there was this cosmic scale, something like this. And this giant cosmic scale measures whether or not a person gets to follow Jesus. You see, Nicodemus' mind, it went something like this. He would have said to us, you know what, all of us, are, there are a lot of people who do some really, really bad things. And then there are some people who do some kind of medium bad things. And then there are a lot of people like me that just do some itsy-bitsy little bad things, right? And all of the bad things that we do get stacked on one side of the scale. But we're all good people, right? And so we, we do good things. And there are some things in life we do that are, are really, really, really big good things. And there are some other things that are kind of medium good things. And there are a lot of little itty-bitty good things that we do. And all of the good things that we do get stacked on the other side of the scale. And as long as the side of the scale with all of our good things even just slightly outweighs all of the bad, Nicodemus would have said, that's good enough, right? That gets me into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, it's not the way it works. It's not about whether or not you do enough good. You have to be born again. There is something more. And Jesus, Jesus turns upside down what Nicodemus has always believed about the kingdom of God. In fact, move on to verse 14. The conversation continues. And finally, Jesus gets around to talking about something that Nicodemus actually understands in verse 14. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. And Nicodemus is thinking, I know that story, Jesus. I know about that one. Because he's referring to an Old Testament story when the Israelites were still wandering in the wilderness. And a lot of them were being attacked by these venomous snakes. And it was killing a lot of the people. And so God instructed Moses to put a, uh, an image of this snake on a pole and to mount it in the center of the camp. And whenever someone was bitten by one of these snakes, they were to go and to, to look at that snake on a pole and they would be healed by God. And Nicodemus says, Jesus, I, I know that story. And then Jesus brings it to Nicodemus' time when he says this, So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus, do you know what He's saying? The days of judging by the cosmic scales of trying to do enough good, trying to obey all of the rules, all of the traditions, all of the laws, that is over. It's not about that anymore, Nicodemus. And it's not about that anymore today either. 
No, he says what it's about now is the fact that the Son of Man, Jesus, will be lifted up on a cross, or in our case, was lifted up on a cross. And our ability to be part of the kingdom of God is no longer dependent on what I can or cannot do, but it is totally dependent on the gift that Jesus has already given us by dying on the cross in our place and paying the penalty of our sin. And by His gift, by what God has already done, I can have the gift of being part of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes on, and in a capsule, in a nutshell, He really gives us the story of the whole Bible in just a few verses. Because the story of the whole Bible is about God's desire, God's love for us, God's desire to redeem us. You know this verse very well probably. For God so loved the world, and that would include all of us, that He gave His one and only Son, that was Jesus, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That was His desire, to save you. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Friends, we enter the kingdom of God not through what we have or have not done. We get into the kingdom of God because Jesus has already paid the price for our sin when He died on the cross. We get into the kingdom of God by simply accepting His Brad, you want to help me out? In the mood for some push-ups? I told him ahead of time, so don't. So, um, Michael, you want a donut? Does that sound good to you? It does, doesn't it? It can be yours as soon as Brad does ten push-ups. You told me I get the donuts. No, sorry, guys. You do the push-ups. You don't need the donuts. <laughs> yeah. Ten push-ups. They're not going to let you cheat. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, you're welcome. How many more do I have? I've got quite a few in here. Josh, would you like a donut? Okay. Go ahead. Ten more push-ups. <laughs> Just one. Sorry. There's two services, so. Yeah. Very nice. America runs on Duncan, you know. That's that's all we'll go with. But so imagine this though. Imagine that I had a donut for you can go back, yeah. Outstanding. Imagine if I had a donut for every person in this room. But to receive that gift, 
somebody else had to pay a price for it. A professor at a Christian college out west actually did this experiment in his class of about 30 students. He had a young man named Steve who had done perfect work the whole school year. And so he stopped him after class one day and he said, Steve, he was a football player, do you think you could do 300 push-ups, 10 at a time? Steve said, yeah, I I think I could do that. And so the next day the professor did just what I have done here. He offered donuts to students and at first they were eager to take them and Steve would do the push-ups. But as they began to, to move around the room, And the second and the third row, some students began to refuse the donut. To which the professor would say, that's fine if you don't want it, but he's going to pay the price for it, even if you don't take it. And Steve would do the donuts. And somehow, people began to hear what was happening, and a few other people wandered into the room to watch what was happening. In fact, after that happened a few times, a young man named Jason tried to come into the door, and everybody in the class said, no, 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 stay out, stay out, don't come in. Because they realized that every person that came into the room, it was ten more push-ups. And the professor said, Steve, it's up to you. Does Jason come in or not? Steve said, let him come on in. And he did send push-ups for Jason. And he moved on around the room until he had done push-ups for every single person in the room. And the professor said, I wanted to invite all of you to my party, but none of you had done perfect enough work to have deserved it except for Steve. But he paid the price for you all today so that all of you could be invited to the party. We've all been offered a gift. We've been offered a gift from Jesus. Much more than a donut. But the gift has been paid for. It'd be awful foolish, wouldn't it? And ungrateful to leave the gift lying on the desk. But we have to decide. You know what Nicodemus decided? Nicodemus decided to accept the gift. We know that because if you keep reading through the New Testament, you find some things that Nicodemus says that identifies that he has become a follower of Jesus. And you know how else we know? On the day that Jesus died on the cross, do you know who was there to take care of his dead body? It was Nicodemus. Because he had decided he would accept the gift. He wanted to be born again. He wanted to be part of the kingdom of God. And I remember the moment for me, a defining moment in my life when I made the decision to step across the line and say, I want to be part of the kingdom of God. I I accept that gift. And you know what? Many in this room could stand up today and tell their story of their defining moment when they stepped across a line of faith and they decided, I want to be part of the kingdom. I want the gift that has been offered for me. And they would tell you they have never for one second regretted that decision. And it has changed their life forever. But there are some in the room today who are right where Nicodemus was. And you're still wondering, how can this be? And you're still debating whether or not you're going to accept the gift that Jesus offered on your behalf. Listen to what it says in verse 19. Jesus, still speaking, says this is the verdict. Light, talking about himself, has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They, they stayed in their sin. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light 
so that it may be seen plainly that what He has been done has been done through God. See, Jesus says there's a step that we take of moving from darkness into light. And the move from darkness to light, you know know what that comes down to? It comes down to trust. Nicodemus had to decide. Am I going to continue to trust myself and my own ability to do enough good? which I can never do? Or am I willing to trust God? And that's really what it comes down to for every single one of us. Who am I going to trust? Myself? Or am I willing to place my trust in God? And this morning, maybe you're thinking, okay, (laughs) it's time for me to trust Him. What do I do exactly? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. That this morning, if you're ready to trust Jesus with your life, it simply is about first acknowledging that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is who He claims to be. And that He died on the cross on your behalf. Secondly, it is you being willing to admit that I... I have sinned. I have messed up in my life. I have done wrong things. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether that pile is small or big. God still loves me. And so it's admitting that I need I need a Savior. And I want Jesus to be that Savior. Next is about asking Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus says, if you'll confess me with your mouth, I'll confess you before the Father. It's about simply saying, Jesus... Would you come and lead my life? Would you be my Savior? I'm inviting you into my heart today. It's about trusting. It's about deciding to trust Him today. See, it really keeps coming down to those same two questions, doesn't it? Do you believe Jesus? And are you willing to obey Him? The gift's been paid for. The gift's been offered. You just have to receive it. And so I want to pray with you this morning. And maybe there are some people, I know there are some people in this room today, I'm confident through the Spirit of God, that today needs to be the moment. And so if you're at that point, as I pray this prayer, I want to invite you to pray it. You can pray it in your own words. Nothing magical about it, but praying something and saying something to God is the first step towards inviting Him in. So let's bow our heads and you pray if you're at this point. God, thank you for Jesus who loved me enough to die on the cross for me. And God, today I acknowledge that I need a Savior. God, I have sinned and I ask you for your forgiveness. God, I invite Jesus to come into my heart and into my life and save me today. Thank you, God, for the promise that I will be with you for eternity in heaven. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, people who make that commitment, people who invite Jesus into their heart, there's one more thing the Bible instructs us to do. And the story continues in verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and His disciples went out into the Judean countryside where He spent some time with them and baptized. 
And you know who he was baptizing? He was baptizing people who, just like you, had invited him into their hearts. Now, I'm making some assumptions here, but I wonder for me, maybe Nicodemus was among those. Maybe there was a day where he followed them into the Judean countryside and Nicodemus said, Jesus, I believe. And he was baptized. He was immersed in the water. And if you read through the book of Acts, you will discover that every person who prayed that simple prayer, maybe that you prayed, who invited Jesus into their hearts, followed that up. Almost immediately in most cases. By being immersed in water. As a way of saying to everybody, I am publicly declaring today that I'm going to follow Jesus. And as a beautiful picture of having all of the sins of our past washed away and rising to a new life in Jesus Christ. And some of you need to do that today. And we've made it really easy for you. As you came in, maybe you saw there is a baptismal pool set out up in the front. And maybe you came today thinking, ah, I'm not ready for that. Maybe God's worked on you and you've decided now and we're ready for you. Because down here in the front there are some shorts and shirts and towels. And uh, we're going to stand and sing a song together in a moment. And as we're standing and singing, if you're thinking this is the moment, then why don't you come on down and grab a towel and a t-shirt and some shorts and go to the bathroom and get changed. And when we wrap things up here in just a moment, all of us are going to gather right out there in the front. And we're going to celebrate as people publicly declare their faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized. It is an incredibly awesome moment to celebrate. And I'm pretty excited because I know that God's Spirit is at work. And some of you are going to move to make that decision today. So let's stand. Rick's going to lead us in some worship. And then we're going to go celebrate baptism.